Buongiorno everybody and welcome. This is Identity Unlocked and I'm your host, Vittorio Bertocci. Identity Unlocked is the podcast that discusses identity specifications and trends from a developer perspective. Identity Unlocked is powered by Auth0. The season is sponsored by the OpenID Foundation. This is an unusual episode. We are not going to cover a specification. We will instead focus on a very important thing happening in our industry today. In a nutshell, browser vendors are working to offer better privacy guarantees to our users, and in so doing, they are removing some features and adding new ones. That activity is affecting how identity protocols work in the browser, making it necessary for providers, developers, and end users to change their behavior to preserve existing scenarios. Things are still very much in flux, and they prove to have the potential to affect swiping changes touching everyone. So I thought it would be interesting to invite on the show some of the protagonists involved in this work. Today, we are chatting with Sam Gotto, software engineer working on Google Chrome, and George Fletcher, identity standards architect at Verizon, who had been monitoring the events and with whom I have the pleasure of collaborating for a related initiative, which we will cover during the show. Welcome, Sam and George. Thank you, Vittorio. Thank you, Vittorio. Thanks for joining me today. As it's tradition, we want to hear from you guys on how you ended up working in identity. Let's start with you, George. What's your story? So surprisingly enough, my very first development job out of college was really an identity project, though I didn't know it at the time, 1996 at AOL. 25 years later, I'm actually still sort of at AOL, being that Verizon Media is the combination of AOL and Yahoo. In between there, I've done a stint with the Liberty Alliance. That was sort of when I got into identity full-time, sat on the SAML SSTC for a little while, and then got very involved in OpenID 1, OAuth 1, OAuth 2, OpenID 2, and OpenID Connect. I'm now a community elected board member of the OpenID Foundation. And as Vittorio said, I'm the identity architect at Verizon Media. Finally, my statements today are my own and don't necessarily represent those of my employer. Thank you very much. <laughs> Wonderful. That's uh, always nice to uh, clarify. Thank you, George. That's fantastic. You are like one of the rare cases in which uh, you have been in identity stably, whereas uh, others often uh, tell stories of like uh, complete randomness, like a butterfly effect and uh, bringing them to identity. So great. Sam, what about you? What trajectory did you follow to get to work on the identity features in Chrome? Ah, that's an interesting question. So I have a background in compilers, computer architecture, hardware, operating systems, some low-level stuff. And I got really, really tired like uh, to do hardware at some point in my life. And I came into Google to do software, which was a, an immense change in, in my life. For the first few years, I've worked on consumer apps. So uh, Orkut, Gmail, Google Docs, and at some point, social. Uh, and then somewhere at that point, I transitioned to developer platforms. So uh, since then, I've been doing developer platforms for Google Social and uh, Google Search, and now more recently in Chrome. My first point of contact with identity was in um, when I was working in social at Google to do uh, one of the versions of Google Signing. So I was a tech lead for uh, one of the versions of Google Signing, uh, arguably one of the least popular versions of Google Signing. And then I, I did uh, a stint at Search, Google Search, doing a lot of uh, crawling of the web and uh, more semantic web stuff, which was a lot of fun too. 
And now at some point I transitioned from a web app developer to a crawler of the web to actually uh, influencing the web and, and changing the web. And so I moved to the uh, web platform team inside of the Chrome team, still with a bit of a compilers and computer architecture background. And at some point ran into uh, identity as a, as, a, as a good place with a lot of opportunities and challenges. Much like George, uh, I speak for myself and uh, as opposed to my, my employer and uh, my opinions are my own. Wonderful. Fantastic. But it sounds like you touched on a really, really consequential stuff. So the fact that you chose to move toward identity is, uh, is really nice. And I, I'd say that uh, in, whenever I read what you write, it's clear that you have this very formal approach and uh, the compiler background <laughs> truly explains that. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Let's jump straight into the topic and let's start with you, Sam. Can you tell me what is going on? Like, what is the problem that uh, moved browser vendors to start uh, considering those changes? So the overall idea is that Federation is pretty awesome, right? The Federation is pretty good, and at least compared to the alternative of usernames and passwords. So pretty important and, 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 and wonderful thing that has been part of the web for a while. And uh, by design, Federation was built on top of the web rather than into the web early on. Uh, which it was totally justifiable in the top in the context of what that it was designed. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know someone if someone raised their hand to say, "Let's work with the browser vendors," you know, and it, that would take a long time to develop federation. But but it wasn't the case. Sam, given that this is an identity show, and our audience is probably going to be really particular about the the use of terms, I guess that when you say federation, you mean a way of outsourcing authentication to an entity which is not your app. The reason for which I clarify this is that very often in our space, federation is a, a very specific topology in which there is a organization A and organization B, and the way in which you get those two together is to use the federation protocols. And now, you are fully justified in using the term the way you use it because those protocols might have been born for that topology, but then they are used also for scenarios where there is no organization A and organization B. It's just a way of outsourcing authentication. But I just want to clarify that when you say federation, you mean not just SAML, but also like any mechanism in which you get redirected to a different identity provider. Is that right? Well, so to be very specific, by federation, we mean, uh, you know, what you typically see in consumers, things like uh, signing with Google or logging with Facebook. Unfortunately, uh, part of the foundation that that uh, those protocols were, were, were built upon, uh, you know, namely low-level primitives like third-party cookies, iframes, pop-ups, and redirects, is under a lot of pressure, largely because some of this is being abused uh, to track users without their control. Uh, so browsers are going through uh, 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 reforming the foundation, I guess. And uh, it's really challenging. And one of the reasons it's really challenging to reform any foundation is because it's really hard to distinguish between the good uses of the foundation versus the bad uses of the foundation, right? And when browsers, when, when you can't distinguish between what's good and what's bad, you kind of like have to apply the strictest common denominator, Right. And uh, we've seen some of this earlier before in the past when uh, some of these uh, user experiences used pop-ups, for example, right? And, 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 and pop-ups started being, being abused. And so browsers started to 
uh, you know, uh, tighten up uh, how pop-ups are, are, are done and, and OpenID Connect and other protocols had to adjust to, to, to help to, to, to this new world. And so that leads us to the problem that we've been calling the classification problem, which is the, the, the browser's inability to distinguish between federation and uncontrolled tracking on the web. Now, I think the classification problem is something that is easy to, 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 to grasp, but when you're changing the foundation, I think you have to understand what are the fundamental problems that caused the old foundation to, to succumb so that if you build a new foundation, it doesn't go through the same problems or doesn't incur into the same challenges. And that leads us to the two other problems that we've been calling the, the reliant party tracking problem and the identity provider tracking problem. So those are, those are the three problems that we've been thinking about. I think I understood the uh, classification problem, which is uh, those primitives are like neutral, can be used for good and bad. We assume federation is good, uh, tracking is bad, but you as a browser, you are in this difficult position of uh, you need to prevent the bad. And so in so doing, you might be jeopardizing functionality. And then, um, and so this is leading you to uh, eliminate some of those primitives and then building new ones that will not suffer from the same problem. And then you mentioned uh, two other problems, like the relying party tracking problem and the identity provider tracking problem. Do you want to expand on those as well? So the classification problem is that these protocols are using low-level primitives. So the, one of the easy ways out here is to build high-level primitives, right? Identity-specific primitives, such that you have a very clear boundary and, and semantics about what's being done. One of the challenges here is that, uh, that those high-level primitives can also be abused, right? You, one can impersonate itself as an identity provider, for example, or one can impersonate itself as a, as a reliant party. And, and so the challenge here is how do you, what are the properties that these high-level primitives need to have? So one of the concrete examples here is the, the, the RP tracking problem is one in which by having these global identifiers being exchanged from identity providers to reliant parties, it gives reliant parties the ability to join users across different domains and in doing so build a, a bigger profile without the user's necessary consent. So a concrete example is some of the big consumer IDPs that exist today, some of them return back to reliant parties global identifiers. So these are these are numbers that are returned to the reliant party and uh, that can be joined across reliant parties. And so when I go to one reliant party and I sign in with my identity provider, if my identity provider is handing back to the reliant party one identifier that is the same across my other uses of other reliant parties, then that can be used to, to join that usage and build a, a bigger profile of my usage of the web. And so one of the possibilities here, right, uh, uh, without much loss of uh, functionality, is to offer direct identifiers, right, to, to shard identities across these line parties, such that kind of like by default, it's consequence free, but, the, but by default, or there's no consequence in, 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 in me sending a, a numeric number to one reliant party and another numeric number to another reliant party, right? But that doesn't necessarily exclude the ability to offer with, with the user's in, in control and the, with the user's consent to offer global identifiers, right? But then it's just a matter of like changing the defaults perhaps, right? Like you can address a lot of the problem by uh, making the default easy and safe, but the the, the more challenging uh, parts to be possible, but with with more control. That's very interesting. Like, uh, this sounds like the browser starting to look into aspects that traditionally are more on the 
identity provider side and relying party side and said now in order to provide that extra layer of uh, privacy it looks like uh, now you guys want to be involved in that aspect that's very interesting now if we just double click a bit and we look at the lower level like when we are talking about uh, the features that are being uh, discussed like the low level features which might change or disappear what are the ones that are being affected both by things that we already saw playing out, like same site, and the things that you know are uh, on the crosshair uh, for being eliminated? There's a, there's a long answer and there's a short answer to this. Um, there's, a, there's a principle answer to this and there's a pragmatic answer to this, right? I think that the principle answer is uh, written as a, it's a, there's a good uh, explainer out there called the privacy model for the web that explains some of the properties and the principles that form what the privacy model for the web could be. And then those principles, they get materialized into concrete APIs or concrete affordances that browsers expose that deviate from that principle. Who put this thing out? Like a Viz explainer, who, who wrote it? I believe Michael Kleber from the Chrome team has, has written that explainer. I, I'm, I could be wrong. In term, it is in his personal repo, and I don't know exactly what state it is at, but it's the one that we use from a threat model perspective, from a principle perspective. I see. So this is like the Chrome North Star. It's like, a, I say this as opposed to, say, for example, W3C or just for scoping the effort. Like this thing is a thing that you are using the Chrome team as your threat model. Yeah. I don't want to overstate that this is something that the Chrome team uses generally. This is something that we've been using for our work specifically as the principled way to describe what, what the threat model is and what is the a challenge and, and what properties a solution should have, uh, what, what properties an end state should have. And so that's that's a very kind of like an end state North Star oriented document that goes over kind of like what the end state should look like. And then you go one by one more pragmatically looking at opportunities to go big bangs for the bucks. You know, there's some things that are easy, right? There's some certain things that I think are overexposing you by default without necessity. Uh, I think one of the examples, I don't know if this is going to be a good example or not, but sending cookies to the images that are embedded on, on your website. There's a chance that that's useful for a certain narrow amount of cases, but that seems that you get a big bang for the buck because images is mostly static by making that uh, more constrained, right? So that you, by changing the default, by, by default, you don't get to, you know, you're, you're making it private as opposed to where we are today, you know, oversharing, you know, by default. And so image links, I think is a good example. So let me, uh, let me make this uh, more concrete. You mean that uh, today, yeah, when uh, you embed uh, any uh, image uh, link, image source in your page, when uh, the browser reaches out, uh, if there is a cookie for the domain from where the image source is coming from, the cookie will be sent. And you're saying this is uh, one uh, low-hanging fruit in which we could uh, prevent that behavior and then uh, we'll now be more uh, secure, right? Yeah, I could be misrepresenting the same site to cookies mental model, but because I didn't push same site cookies myself, but, but that to me as a as an end user seemed like a, a an easy win. Like there's no there's no reason why the server serving the the image needs to necessarily be told who I am or or you know that that I'm loading the specific web page. That's a perfect point because like this is a great a great segue for me for uh, moving this to George because uh, in a traditional protocols like for example ws federation which is like uh, some people might call it a poor man's uh, summer 
<laughs> but uh, I hope that uh, the wrong people don't hear me saying that. But in uh, the sign out, the distributed sign out in uh, WS Federation was implemented exactly that way, in which uh, you would have uh, the identity provider that would serve a page. In this page, there was a list of images, and each of the sources of those images were actually all the applications that the identity providers knew had a session built on top of that. And so the sign-out was like this fun-out of all those requests. And of course, you wanted to have a cookie in there because that indicated, yeah, this is the session that I want to terminate. So I think that this is the perfect incarnation of the conflict that we are in here. As in, we all mean really good. You made an excellent description. You said, yeah, why would the, the user would think this is oversharing? But from our side, as identity side, we relied on this. So, George, can we pick up on this and uh, can you give me the identity side of the story? Like uh, what's happening, how we are affected? Uh, what's your take on the things that we have been saying so far? So specifically on that one point, it is happening today with the OpenID Connect front channel logout. Front channel logout in OpenID Connect is broken by the most recent same site and other cookie changes. Not that those changes aren't good for their intended purpose, but it does break. And the unfortunate part from an identity perspective is the only way to solve that is redirect chains. Now, if the user's only visited two or three sites for your IDP, that might work, right? But redirect chains are really hard to get the user to stay long enough to actually complete, which probably means that some site at the end of the chain is orphaned. But that's about all you can do. So especially in the cross-domain case, you run into this problem. And many properties may have multiple of their sites running on domains that aren't the same as the IDP domain, even though in reality, it's known to be all one company, right? Especially if you take language scenarios like example.it and example.de and idp.example.com or whatever is trying to log them out about you're pretty much stuck with redirect chains today. So that's just sort of one example specifically to match to the cookie. I think the other thing that's important from an identity perspective is there are many use cases that are not just a consumer going and trying to access their you know, reservation site via some shared you know, IDP that they own. And so in addition to you know, just sort of your standard web browser interactions, you've got mobile apps or rich desktop apps So fire up your Apple Mail app on an iMac and say, I want to log in with, pick your email provider, right? It's probably using OpenID Connect under the covers. And that's being done in a constrained environment. So that changes the pattern at which it actually makes the classification problem that you described earlier, Sam, a little bit harder because the browser hasn't loaded the relying party site and now the user clicked the login button you're starting in the middle, not literally the middle, but you know the mobile app is opening the system browser and saying, go here. And then when it's done, right, the redirect isn't a standard redirect to some domain necessarily. It could be back into the app. So hopefully it would actually look a little bit like a URL because hopefully the mobile apps are using app links and universal links for their callbacks because there's lots of other security problems if they don't, but that's a different topic. So that's another case, right? So you have mobile apps, risk desktop apps. You've got single page apps where the entire JavaScript is loaded into the browser, as well as your sort of standard 
hey, I go to website X and I click the login button and it redirects me to my the IDP I want to log in from. So I think one of the things is use cases. The other piece I think that comes into play here, not all of the time are the use cases around the user trying to log in. You know, the classic example for this is something like, I go to LinkedIn and I want to find my friends, so I want to import my contacts from my email provider. There's no real login. I'm not logging into LinkedIn, but I am leveraging the underlying protocols, same principles, same impacts to basically get an authorization. SAML in the university federations that Vittorio mentioned earlier often use basically unidentified authorizations or they're anonymous SAML assertions that basically says student A is a valid student at Stanford. So when they show up at the Carnegie Mellon online library, the assertion says nothing about who the user is. It's completely random and temporal, but the authorization statement says they're accessed. So you know, you have those kinds of cases. And then you have finally the kinds of cases where you're combining authentication and resource access at the same time. That's kind of back to that Apple mail example, where the mail client running on my Mac wants me to sort of log in and get access to these resources. And so there's both pieces are involved in that process. So I think we have to look at the the entire scope of the kinds of use cases that we have when we start looking at these different problems. Specifically, so I think classification is an interesting problem and your explainer does a good job at sort of showing different ways you could sort of mediate that possibly once you detected it. Maybe there's some other things we could do on the classification problem. The RP collusion problem, I think, is a really, really hard problem for a browser to intermediate. And that's because in many cases, um, if you think about the authorization code flow, which I would argue is the most used OpenID Connect flow, there is no identity showing up in the browser at all. The only thing passing through the browser is the authorization code and the CSRF protection in the state parameter. And then all of the data being transferred is back channel. And that's done intentionally. This is a really good point. As in uh, some of the things that uh, are uh, have been stated by Sam, I believe, are... Um good things that we should aspire to, but there might be things that are difficult to achieve. Like the, the thing about uh, the correlation, as George just described, it might simply be something that the browser doesn't see. And also there are other uh, more mundane considerations, as in uh, I might not have a, a global identifier, but if in those two relying parties I need to give my shipping address, then they are going to aggregate my information Anyway, so I can lawyer up and say, well, I didn't give you an identifier, but it definitely is uh, something that uh, even if you do everything you described, the browser cannot guarantee that this thing will not happen. So that's fantastic. And uh, George, you gave uh, a long list of uh, really detailed uh, situations where this thing uh, breaks. And we will get back to it. But I wanted to go back to Sam for a second and uh, talk about some of the features that are being added. Like, uh, I know that you guys in particular, as in uh, on the Chrome side, you are thinking about adding new APIs that you hinted at earlier that are specific for identity and as such would not suffer from the shortcomings and similar. And we'll see that uh, it might not cover all the things that George mentioned, but uh, 
uh, I'd like uh, to give you a chance to introduce it so that then we can uh, talk about those scenarios uh, specifically. Yeah, the mental model is these protocols are using a lot of these low-level primitives. So we're going one by one, looking at the specific low-level primitives that one uses, and then asking ourselves, you know, what would a high-level primitive uh, look like instead? One could argue that using an image to check uh, logout uh, state from IDPs it's what was available there, right? But what we're interested in offering, like, you know, we're raising our hands, we're saying, look, that doesn't sound like it's an initial intended purpose, right, uh, for the image tag. And so, you know, here, maybe this will, will this will be a better foundation to be at, right? And arguably, same with redirects or pop-ups, right? A lot of these things were built on top of the web, not into the web. And and, and when you build on top of the web, the, like I said earlier, you, you, you have to buy to the lowest common denominator or what gets most abuse on the web. So the mental process is that, you know, let's look at one by one the things that uh, these identity protocols depend on, and let's offer something that is high level and intentional and deliberate for it to be uh, built in a, you know, in a stronger foundation, or at least, and the trade-off here is between generality with awareness, right? There's a reason why these low-level primitives are compelling and that they are general, right? They're general purpose primitives, they're Lego building blocks, and they, they offer like they offer like they solve a massive amount of problems, right? So they're very general, but 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 that, that's the trade-off. You know, when it's general, the policies you, you apply the, the one that is the strictest. Where the high-level primitives are less general, right? They don't get, you don't get to do arbitrary things with them, but possibly the premise is here that perhaps they can be more specific and, and, and more controlled. Absolutely. I don't think anyone would argue against that. In fact, I think it's a lot of people lamented the lack identity layer on the internet for uh, decades. So the fact that someone is now working on it uh, is fantastic. But I think that uh, in this particular case, the devil is in the details. As in, uh, um, these high-level primitives, of course, by their nature, as you described, are more coarse-grained, so not as expressive. But I think that uh, we need to find where that line is, because like, if those things now are uh, make it impossible to perform some uh, scenarios that today are fundamental for businesses out there, then I think that uh, you will get some pushback. So can, can you go a bit more into the specifics of what uh, WebID as it exists today does? What are the high-level primitives that they are offering? In our exploration of the low-level primitives, we see that uh, OpenID Connect and SAML depend on things like redirects, pop-up messages, pop-up windows, iframes, uh, and then and, and communication across across origins, right, across sites. And so when you have like an iframe, for example, for button personalization, for example, right, when you see a login with uh, X button and it contains your face in it, it's because they are using an iframe and it's using third-party cookies and it's, um, and it's uh, uh, personalized based on your login state with the IDP. But that also enables the IDP to be where, where you're going on page load. And so, for example, uh, iframes, the folks are looking into, you know, finding ways to preserve that use case, but make it more private. And there are two variations that I think are, are interesting one. Uh, one is called a fenced frame, which is like a, a more private version of uh, an iframe, more constrained, but sort of like looks like an iframe. But constraints, post messages, for example, communication up, upwards and downwards. We have been looking at a uh, identity-specific native experience for uh, to, to fulfill some of the iframe use cases. Uh, exactly what that looks like, largely TBD, but that's one of the use cases. 
pop-up messages too, where we window dot open pop-up messages is something that signing provider identity providers use and post message to communicate with you one another. So we're looking at what is specific the communication that's happening, for what reasons and what that communication happens and what subset of that communication is safe or how can we make that communication such that you're revealing information to the IDP or to the ERP in a controlled fashion or user awareness or control. The other concrete use case here too is also redirects, right? Redirects, I think more fundamentally breaks uh, uh, these protocols. And so we're looking at ways to make that more controlled too. I buy very much the argument about there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done and it's hard to catch everything. So my mental model has been that, uh, you know, you know, let's look at the things that gives us the biggest bang for the buck and make that very, uh, you know, as, as, as consequence-free as possible, as safe as possible to, to make disclosure of information as progressive as possible and as minimal as possible. And then some of the things that are scarier, right, or the, the things that are we expect that to be less common perhaps or in, in that. So there needs to be kind of like a catch-all escape hatch that, that allows all to be done, but perhaps that's where we apply more user control or more user friction so that it's so that's still possible, but perhaps with higher friction. And exactly finding that line, that balance, it's extremely hard, extremely difficult, like you said, and we don't expect it to be done over a weekend project, right? This is something that we're going to be working a lot with identity providers, the identity ecosystem, relying parties, and try to strike the right balance. That makes a lot of sense. And just for our listeners, WebID right now is a uh largely uh, an initiative driven by Google. Do you know if uh, other browsers are uh, considering uh, adopting it as well? It's been largely a, a open and transparent and public project right now. It is fair to say that it's primarily driven by, by, by Google, but it has been like fairly open. So we have a lot of browser engineers who jump in and, and participate in these discussions publicly. We have identity providers who show up and say like, ah, oh, this does, this won't work because of X, Y, and Z. Or like, oh, Sam, you're only consumer-oriented. You have to pay attention to these education or enterprise space here that you're ignoring. So, which is much, much welcome, right? Like, it's very much interested in hearing a lot of this. So we know a few things, right? We, we know no one individually can solve this problem, right? There isn't a single entity or person that can solve this problem in isolation, Right and ensure that it will take a long time to, to solve it, right? And so we've been very open and transparent and public about this early on, which is sometimes in tension with clarity and conciseness, right? So you probably see our explainer is like super long. And the reason it's super long is because it's early and we're intentionally kind of like confused and we want to learn. And Because if it was short, it was because we had already formed our opinion. It's long, it's long and confusing because we're inviting the discussion and, there isn't our narrative is almost like along the lines of you know here are the alternatives here are the options and we don't know exactly which one are the best but we're inviting the folks for for having that conversation so that we can understand what's what works best and that makes complete sense the thing that uh, you are absolutely right the problem is intrinsically complex uh, multi parts and similar the thing that uh, can inject a bit of urgency is that uh, Occasionally, people hear feature X will be discontinued by year Y. And so that somehow puts a spring in their steps when they go to meetings saying, uh, what do we need to change it by when do we need to change it in our product? Which brings me back to George. George, what's the stance that you observe in the identity space about the initiatives like WebID? What's the atmosphere there? 
I think there's probably both a little a little bit mixed in the context of support and agreement and concern. Some of the initial views into it look like a completely different protocol. And so that sort of means IEPs have to change, relying parties have to change. And that always causes all of us concern, especially manager support, both relying parties and identity providers. But at the same time, I think there's a desire to also work with the browser manufacturers on the effort. I mean, I don't think anybody's against, we shouldn't protect users' privacy. And in that sense, I kind of feel like, you know, I think sometimes in looking at these problems, because you've done a really good job sort of articulating what the problems are, maybe looking at them individually, even though we're looking for a holistic solution, but looking at them individually, we may be able to do things. So the updated explainer with the classification problem, I think separating ad tracking or bounce tracking from identity flows and the browsers doing something about that, but letting the rest of the protocol continue as is, I think would be a huge step forward from a privacy perspective with minimal, with the potentially no impacts on relying parties, right? There is a potential for friction. I agree with your sort of analysis and explainer around where the browser might have to do interstitials. But in reality, in most cases, I think those could be one time. So the very first time I'm using the browser and I'm going to my IDP and the browser comes up and says, do you really want to log in to with this provider? And I say yes, and it can remember that, then to me, that is that is reasonable friction to protect the user's privacy with minimal impact to the downstream systems. So maybe we can tackle that problem, right, and get something around that out sooner. And then the RP classification problem, I think, is going to be really, really hard for browsers to actually solve unless the browsers, and Vittorio may not agree with me here, but unless the browsers adopt some sort of decentralized identity model and champion it, because then the browsers are in control of the attributes that are being shared. And at which point, right, you know, the whole, the whole underlying protocols are gone anyway, but you do have control. But specifically in the RP problem, I'm not sure it's a solvable problem, especially when you talk about code flow. And the final thing I will add into the RP that Vittorio referenced um, in the sense of shipping addresses is all relying parties must have an identity model that they support. They may not do authentication. They may even in some cases kind of outsource their recovery. But fundamentally, if I'm a relying party and I'm offering a consumer a service, especially if it's a paid service, there must be a way for that user to use my paid service, even if something happens to the identity provider, which means I have an identity model, which means I need recovery, which means I need all these other things. And as soon as you pull in things like recovery, you're going to get a real email address or a real phone number, which are the global correlatable identifiers that are most often used, unfortunately, from a, a back-end tracking perspective. So again, all of those things together, for me, would say separating out the RP problem from some of these other problems is useful. Not that we can't go after it, but to separate it out because it's a way harder problem to solve given the ecosystems that we have today. Thanks, George. This is like a super comprehensive. And I think the meta point is the discussion is still very much ongoing. And so clearly, I think that the action from this has to be this thing that needs to happen and it's going to affect everyone. 
And so I think that it's in everyone's interest to contribute their point of view so that they can do what they can to steer. And so before we get to the call to action, I would just want to clarify, it's not that I'm against decentralized. I'm against decentralized without a use case. Like it just as a principle, like the 10 tablets coming down from the mountain, that is the thing that I'm allergic to. But for places where there is a clear use case, like for example, solving the rank part problem, I'm more than happy to dust off my card space book that I wrote a decade ago and reapply all the same principles. So this was uh, absolutely fantastic. Can you each give me a call to action? George, what's uh, the thing that you want uh, our audience to do after uh, listening to you? My call to action is participate. Get involved in the conversation, share your use cases, share the places where current browser changes you know, made in, in good faith have affected your deployments, all of those kinds of things, because I think we need a much larger group of people in the conversation. So that, that's my thing is, you know, participate. There's the W3C privacy community group where some of the stuff happens. There's the W3C incubator community group where WebID is. There's many GitHub repositories, and I'll let you talk about the browser use cases one, Vittorio. But really just participate. I think it's awesome that Sam and, and the WebID community has been very open to participation. So let's get involved because I think the privacy problems are useful to solve, but let's solve them in a way that we don't break substantial deployments across the web. Thanks, George. And to add the details to the GitHub thing that you mentioned, uh, George and myself are working with the IETF to catalog all the scenarios that uh, use some identity protocol that are in use, current use today, so that we can have a solid artifact to use during discussions so that when a change of a browser risks breaking something, we can pinpoint what it breaks and what are the consequences. So we are gathering those scenarios. We devise the mechanism for people to easily contribute to those. And I'll add the link to the show notes. Sam, same question for you. What's the call to action that you want to issue? I think participate is a is a good call to action indeed, I, and I, I would encourage everybody to to participate and come. You know, it's it's a really hard problem. There isn't anyone that can solve this individually, and it's specifically ourselves, right? Like we are browser engineers writing C plus plus code, right? Some of us has some identity experience, but look, you know, there's OpenID Foundation with a massive amount of information, right, of knowledge. There's the SAML community, massive amount of information. There's a privacy interest group, a community group that with a good amount of information too. There isn't like a single group that holds all of it. And so just come, but I would encourage you to set your mindset to be like very, to just assume that there isn't any easy solution, right? That there isn't any simple, you know, let's get it done and implement this back and you'll be done solution. So come with an open mind. Focus on problems. One of the reasons why I love talking to George and, and Vittorio is because we always talk a lot about problems rather than specific solutions. And we always talk about the solutions in terms of alternatives and trade-offs, not in a dogmatic way about, you know, we should implement, you shall do X, Y, and Z, right? A lot of these are discussed. There isn't like a, a win-win that, that is a perfect solution. And, and I think having that open mind about changing your mind about some of the early conceptions that you had or uh, is, is, is extremely important to us. So, uh, so yeah, so uh, participate, I think it's a good call to action. Uh, there's a tension between 
early and and being concise and clear and clear. So just understand that, that there's a lot of uh, we're gonna have to find ways to make this constructive and objective and productive. And I think the work that you've been doing with the use cases with the uh, working group and Open A Foundation is just a wonderful way to to like participate constructively and objectively rather than rather than um, uh, defensively. And so we're taking that very uh, seriously, and we, we love that that effort, and we want to see more of that. Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, both. This was an uh, extraordinarily interesting episode, and I believe that uh, the community will uh, have to work together on this uh, for a long time. So I'm looking forward to see uh, how people will uh, react and follow up and uh, contribute. So thanks again, and thanks for uh, being a guest on the show and for your time today. Thank you very much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Until next time. The OpenID Foundation is a proud sponsor of the Identity Unlocked podcast. Since its formation in 2007, the Foundation has committed to promoting, protecting, and advancing the OpenID community and technologies. Please consider joining the Foundation and contributing to current working groups. To learn more about the OIDF, please visit www.openid.net. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app or at identityunlocked.com. Until next time, I'm Vittorio Bertocci, and this is Identity Unlocked. Music for this podcast, composed and performed by Marcelo Walowski. Identity Unlocked is powered by Of Zero. Copyright 2020, Of Zero Incorporated, all rights reserved.